Let us pray together. How very precious is your capacious love for us, O God. And on this beautiful morning, we pray that all the children of the earth, all people, may find refuge in the canopy of your wings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin a new calendar and church year, we are once again moving through the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are wondering why did we all climb out of bed this morning? Why did we drive by many of our neighbors who were still sleeping in or enjoying a good cup of coffee and a newspaper? Why did we do this? Well, we did this in part because we want our Lord's beautiful story to shape our own stories as well. Year after year after year, what makes this process so incredibly life-giving is that we can delight in these stories about Jesus. And today we are reflecting on the story of the wise men coming to him. So we reflect on these first as children and then later on at ever deeper levels as adults. You see, as we move through life, you and I, perhaps experiencing a pandemic, a fire on our block, a personal crisis, all these experiences help us to see new things in God's word. In fact, they not only help us to see new things, they make us need (laughs) new things from God's word as well. So friends, we want East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church to be a church where we are all making these deeper shifts in scripture. Ever growing. Ever being transformed. As we experience this dynamic interplay between God's story and our story. And though we never ever want to set aside our childlike wonder, don't ever set that aside. We do want to begin to notice the deeper dimensions, the depth dimension of the gospel stories that we hear every Sunday. Every Sunday we want to go a bit deeper. During my Friday visit with Nora May, our dear 92-year-old sister in rehab right now, we read together today's story of the wise men visiting Jesus. And one of the first things we noticed in this story is that Matthew never actually tells us how many of them there were. 
It's plural, that's all we know. Could have been two, could have been eight. Because of frankincense, help me out here, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we usually assume three. So, who exactly are these mysterious travelers called magi in Greek? Well, magi is an ancient term encompassing, and we don't usually realize this, sorcerers, physicians, priests, astrologers, and magicians. <laughs> Magi and magician, if you listen carefully, you can see they share a common word origin, don't they? And until now, the Hebrew scriptures, like Daniel, have universally condemned and regarded with hostility these magi, calling them the wicked priests of the Babylonian gods and the enemies of Yahweh. But in Matthew today, it is these despised foreigners with their strange ways, their strange clothes, their strange smells, their strange accents, who become the very first people to visit the baby Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Astonishingly in Matthew, these despised foreigners are the first ones to actually find Jesus and to open their treasure chests and their hearts to him. You see, 2,000 years ago, Matthew, the writer of our gospel, is wanting to show his largely Jewish community, his largely Jewish congregation, for whom he is writing this gospel, that God is now working through Jesus to bring in all people into the family of God. And so Matthew's gospel begins in chapter 1 with these Gentile magi coming to see Jesus and it ends in Matthew 28 with the great commission to make disciples of all the nations. Matthew wants us to understand that through Jesus now all people, all people have access to God. And indeed, in our recent scriptures during the season of Advent, you heard it in Isaiah 60, didn't you? All the nations shall come to you. We hear in a kind of relentless way how God's restoration is meant for all nations, all peoples, all creation. Slow cooking through the whole Bible is this grand vision of God's universal restoration. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires for all people to be saved and healed and restored. For God so loves the whole world 
that God comes to us in Jesus not to condemn, but to save and to heal and to restore, to gather in all the children of the earth under the shadow of God's wings. Now in our story today, did you all notice that it's the religious folks who miss the boat? It's the religious insiders in Jerusalem who never actually find Jesus. Even though Bethlehem is just nine miles away. Why is this? Well, they don't seem to be looking. It is actually the religious outsiders, the magi who come from hundreds and hundreds of miles away who actually find Jesus instead. Isn't that interesting? Might this be a cautionary tale <laughs> for all of us religious folk, especially pastors? <laughs> Notice that Jerusalem's religious community has all the scriptures, but they still miss the Messiah. Notice that the wicked King Herod is not the only one shaking with fear about this newborn king. Verse 4 says that all of Jerusalem is shaking with him. These religious insiders resist rather than join the astonishing new thing that God is doing in our world. And I wonder, might today's story challenge all of us to be more on the lookout for what God is present and actively doing in our world right now? To be more on the lookout for other wise men and other wise women that God is using to bring us treasures of insight and wisdom at the start of today I shared how God is at work in the interplay between God's story and our story and I'd like to close with three brief stories from my own life. Story one. Everybody always perks up when I say story. I love that. God has wired us to love stories. So last June, Danette and I volunteered at the LGBTQ Pride Fest at Clipper Stadium. We went to staff a booth of local churches wanting to express God's love and our love for this community. But when we arrived, the stadium gates were shut, locked by the fire marshal. It was so jam-packed that they closed the doors. 
And somehow Danette and I, because we were staff, <laughs> we managed to talk our way in. To my great surprise, it ended up being a deeply spiritual experience for me. Because here was a whole ballpark jam-packed to the gills with people, with folks who mostly assume that we Christians only regard them with hostility. Did I hear and see some things that made me really uncomfortable? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But I also kept having this vision of God hovering over the face of that ballpark. It was like I kept on hearing God speaking through John 3.16, I so love these fabulous people, and so should you. So should you, Todd. Story two. Right before Christmas, I had an interview with one of our church's high school students for a class assignment she had in her world religions class. And along the way, she shared with me how appalled and embarrassed she sometimes feels when Christians are so hateful, suspicious, and hostile toward our world. And she got me to wondering, what is actually our default orientation toward the world, especially as Mennonite Christians? How do we see and view the world around us? It is true that scripture tells us not to be conformed to the world and to resist evil and injustice wherever we see it. But this does not mean that we need to be hostile or uncurious toward the world, does it? I confess I side here with Mary Oliver, who says that our work, what is our work? To love the world. Story three. During our seven years in China, a wise mentor told Danette and me very early on, and thank God they did. These mentors, actually a couple of them, said to us, God has been at work in China long before you ever arrived. And God's going to be at work long after you leave, Todd Friesen. So, Look for the places and look for the people where God is at work and join them. So dear friends, in the same way, let us scan our world, let us scan our county, let us scan our city, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and be curiously on the lookout for the surprising people through whom God's light is already shining. And when you find that light, join them. Amen.